think because Todd and I have so often uh, missed big chunks of time with podcasting, we've we've decided we're going to do some extra podcasts in between the ones when we get together. We're going to do some individual ones because the big trouble is we have a seven-hour time difference between Colorado and London, and it makes it very tricky for us to coordinate often for the length of time where we can both speak and and do the proper podcasts that we like to do. So we thought it'd be really good if we also, when we get the occasion and the opportunity and the inspiration, to do some smaller podcasts in between to um, to keep the podcast levels up because I appreciate the people that enjoy this and hopefully you're one of them, uh, want to hear more stuff from us and it can't always be, you know, every three, four weeks when we finally get our act together to actually combine the times. So these uh, podcasts this week, I'm going to do a few this week, hopefully. Um, I'm doing from my car at Pinewood Studios. I'm just parked up. And before I set off on my journey home, I thought it'd be a good time for me after a, a day in the workshop to record some thoughts that popped into my head, things that I think are very important that need to be sort of thought of and considered. And whilst they're fresh in my mind, I thought the end of the class would be a good time to do that. So that's what I'm doing. So I've made some notes here of things that I think were good to discuss. And of course, if ever you wish to uh, get in touch and email the show, email me. Just if you drop us an email, stuartandtodd at gmail.com, we're always happy to hear from you. So the first, like I say, little podcast I'm going to do now, I'm just going to go through these things and we'll just, you know, see how it goes. I'll, 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 I'll talk my ideas through. Obviously, it's kind of different when you have a conversation with somebody because it has a completely different dynamic, whereas this is just me on this occasion. So we'll see how this goes. So thanks for sticking with it. And uh, yeah, let's get on to the first topic. So this week, I've been teaching at Pinewood at Creative Media Skills, and we have been doing out of the kit stuff for the first day i did loads of demos and today the class there were 12 of us i had david brown help me um and it was a nice size class and a really nice class everyone's been getting on really well and there's been a lot of enthusiasm and energy in the class which was cool and tomorrow we're going to start making pieces and putting them on from molds but these first two days have been just about working out of the kit and specifically doing things from scratch and a lot of people wondering you know why is it you would do one thing that's out of the kit and something else you'd make a pre-made piece for? And it's an interesting point because you think, well, if I'm only going to stick something on one time, why bother going to the trouble of sculpting and molding and casting all that kind of stuff? And that's a fair question. And I think the trouble is that they say sometimes, you know, you don't need to do something more than once, but often they'll say, oh, we just need this one thing. And then if you do it, the story changes or this, you know, the, the, the schedule changes and suddenly they didn't get to that shot that day so you need to do the makeup again tomorrow or uh, if there is a continuity thing it's more of a problem but if you just have to redo it you redo it so you can do the same makeup you know freehand a number of times if you're careful but obviously it's easier if you've got a pre-made piece so in the circumstance where you would have something that has to look the same a number of times it makes sense to pre-make a piece if you can but obviously there's a, an upfront cost and investment in time to do that so sometimes if you've got a large crowd scene or there's you know there's a lot of things happening in camera so you've got a big hospital scene and you've got a few choice gags where someone's getting their legs sawn off or something's happening so they might be closest to camera and larger 
in frame, but there may be dozens of other things in the background which perhaps, um, you know, are kind of a little bit more kind of random and haven't been quite as planned. Those things could be sort of, I'd say, lesser quality. They could be less involved. They'd still be, you know, shootable. They'd still look good enough on camera, but they don't need to be in as great a detail. They don't need as much time to be spent on them. So it might be a case that you... Um, enhance an existing makeup or you fabricate something entirely from scratch um, and if you can do things out of the kit where you actually manufacture something or construct something there and then on the person uh, and paint it up and make it work that's a good skill to have so that's why we wanted to spend the first part of the course doing that because then that's something you can do out of the kit and it, it gives you an awareness of the things you should have with you all the time so that you can create things on the spot and you know what things you need to carry with you so that you can do a good job you know what would go in that kit um so i'll probably talk more about that as a separate podcast because i think that deserves a bit more time on it but that, that's one of the main reasons the other one is if you do have an appliance makeup that you've done and something goes wrong or the edge goes awry or it gets damaged or something uh, during the shooting day if you are able to construct something from scratch then it's much much easier and a lot more uh, or less distressing i should say to be able to repair something if you're familiar with making them from scratch it's much much easier it's kind of like taking off a heavy backpack you've been wearing one all day you feel much much lighter because you know the burden's been taken off you and i think it's like that with a lot of um, you know, doing makeup effects sometimes. If you can, if you are able to construct wounds from scratch, make up something on the spot, and make it look good, then the very notion that just repairing a bad edge on another piece is not, you know, devastating to you because you're able to build it from nothing. So, so I, I think for that reason alone, it's it's good exercise and good practice to be able to do that and repair things and and have the smarts to know, you know, how you can improve things and modify things on the fly. So it's a good skill to have and a good a good set of chops uh, to get you through, you know, a rough shooting day. Something else I noticed today was that there were some people that were doing the right things, but they felt that what they were doing wasn't the right thing. And it wasn't that they were doing the wrong thing. It was just that they weren't doing the right thing well enough. They would they, the, the techniques they had and the things they were trying to do were the right things. They just need to keep doing more of it. And I think there is a difference to be drawn from knowing the right thing and doing the right thing and then doing the right thing very well and doing it, you know, with skill. And I think that all comes down to practice. And it is one of those things that people can learn a technique. They can watch a video or they can pay for a class and they do something one time or they get shown it one time. And then they tick the box in their head that says, oh, I can do that. And just because you know how something's done is not the same thing as being able to do it. Um, you know, you can watch, you know, a play, but that doesn't mean that you could perform in that play just because you know what the lines are. There's a lot more to it than that. And it's the same with, you know, sculpting something or molding something. You may have seen it done, but can you do it, you know, fantastically well every time? Or, you know, can you can you do it when you're under pressure? Or can you do it when it's something you don't really want to do, but that's what the brief is? So, um, so for those reasons, you know, it's good to... To, to practice something a lot and get very familiar with it because it's kind of sad when people feel like they're doing the wrong thing and it's not that they're doing the wrong thing it's just that they haven't mastered the right thing um you know there are certain techniques that just require a lot more finesse and a lighter touch or you know there's a, there's a lot more sort of fine sort of pressures involved in how you press something down or things that are actually quite difficult to explain or write down they kind of defy explanation they almost need to be felt 
um, through experience rather than, um, you know, sort of explain in a book. So, you know, there are some things that are just harder to do than others. And so it's good to get good information and see the, the things right. But there is definitely a distinction to be made between knowing how something's done and seeing it done and actually being able to do it. Um, and, you know, if you've been shown something once or twice or you've read about something, just because you know how it's done, like I said, that doesn't mean you can definitely do it. So I would draw a distinction between those two things uh, and be aware that you know, often you can be doing the right thing, but you're just not doing it right. We're not doing it well enough yet. So um, definitely practice is the one thing that will separate that. And eventually you kind of break through a wall, you know, you break the seal on it and eventually your hands just start doing the right thing. Um, but it's one of those things that if you find your key, you know, you keep doing something wrong and it's not working out, it might just be because your technique's not quite right. But it's good if you can seek advice. I think one of the best things that can be uh, that you can do is go to a forum. There's a, a very good website, or uh, I should say forum on Facebook, uh, called Neil Gorton's 911 Effect or Neil Gorton's Effects Special Effects 911. Um, look that up if you can and join. You need to uh, ask to join the group because you need to be accepted in. Um, but it's just to check. Uh, the profile is in a spam profile, but it, it's it's full of very good information, and there's lots and lots of um, you know helpful blogs uh, posts on there, and and uh, there are files, and there are fantastic photo albums explaining a lot of the things, a lot of the common problems that people have. But it is somewhere that you can go and ask your questions, and have you know Oscar-winning makeup artists or mold makers or painters or hairstylists will answer questions um, because they're on there following what's going on and it's it's a really good resource and there's nothing more likely i think to get a response than to say i have tried these things and here are my results i wasn't very happy with it why is this happening why is this going wrong because it, it shows that you've been trying that you've put the hours in and you have attempted these things but they just haven't worked out well um and there's obviously something you're doing wrong, but the fact that you've put the hours in and you've tried to do these things is evidence of, you know, your effort and your input. And that's far more impressive than someone that's trying to sort of figure all the problems out from an armchair without doing anything. Because the people whose help you're trying to get are people that have put the hours in and they respect it a lot more when someone has tried, you know, they've done stuff, they've, they've had a go. I'd much rather see, you know, pages of failed attempts you know, than somebody that, that's done something and it just worked the first time and they've never experienced that failure. Um, because like I say, the people whose help you're after know that feeling, that sting of things going wrong only too well and they just keep coming back for more and keep burning through it. So, um, like I say, th there is a difference between doing something correctly and doing something fantastically. Um, uh, so, so practice, practice and like I say, record everything. Keep a record of your failures. Uh, you don't have to show people all the time, but it's just good to have a record of what it was that went wrong. And it will certainly help when you're trying to get, you know, assistance to correct things when you've got evidence of what it is you've done wrong. Because you might be describing what the problem is, but then when you look at the photo, you can actually see, or somebody who's looking for the problems can see what the real problem is. And it may not be something that you're even aware of. So it's good to kind of record your failures as well and keep track of those things. One of the things that we mentioned on a couple of um, podcasts uh, back was about um, some of the things that are hardest to do. And I think one of the things that people find very difficult to do is when you're painting pieces is the ability to put on a small enough amount of, of colour. Um, I think sometimes when someone's painting something, they want to see a significant change uh, very quickly. They want to see, like, the piece they've put on is not the right colour, so they want to put something on, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a colour out of the palette 
that straight away, you know, significantly improves the color. And sometimes that is possible, but more often than not, the way I paint, you tend to creep up on the right color by gradually putting a little bit on at a time. And it's quite difficult sometimes to put a small enough amount of color on. And I like things like Skin Illustrator, you know, the alcohol activated palettes. They're great to use because you can put very, very small amounts of pigment on by diluting it down with a lot of alcohol, a lot of activator. And then when you put that color on, that alcohol, you know, the activator evaporates off and it leaves behind a tiny amount of pigment. And it might be that that's enough, but it's very easy to put too much on. And with this kind of makeup, you basically want to arrive at the right color, I think, through a series of washes that are applied gradually to build up to the right color. So you can still see through the layers of color. There's no thick layer of, of flesh tone that you apply on the surface. It's more tweaks of, 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 of washes of color to adjust a base tone. And for that reason, I think it's very important to make sure that when you're making an appliance or you're making a silicon paste that you're applying directly to the skin, like third degree or sculpt gel or, or some little skin sculpt or something like that that you make it the right color to match the skin first because it takes a fair bit of time to put the pigments directly into that silicon material first but i think if you do that it just means there's a lot less makeup to put on because you're not trying to unfuck something you're not trying to correct it with with loads of makeup over the top because the base tone of the material is correct to begin with um and whether you're like if you've got a base tone that's too orange, for example, you might need to put a bit of blue in it to neutralize that orange. Just enough blue to neutralize the orange. If you add too much blue, it'll go greedy blue and then that's too much. Um, but if you put just a little bit of blue in and it neutralizes the orange, that can do the same job as putting a wash of blue on after the piece was made, if the piece was too orange. So the, 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 the color theory of how you correct it is the same. But it's just easier i think if the color is in the material rather than on the surface it's a lot more durable and um and it it definitely means that you know you'll, you'll feel better about it because the bulk of the, the the color is already close to correct and there's a lot less for you to put on so it uses less product it means less time and also if you mix up a big batch of it then every time you run those pieces they're going to be the right color because obviously there's nothing worse than spending hours mixing up exactly the right flesh tone only to realize you've mixed up too small an amount and you've got to run out of the five sets of pieces and you've got to mix up another batch of silicon that's that color so it's better to mix you know a master batch that you're gonna that's gonna cover all of your requirements spend the time on that making that the right color and then or as close as you can maybe tiny bit paler because it's easier to darken down with makeup obviously um and then you you know once your base tone of the material is correct it has the right translucency and the right tone then it's just going to make your life easier from that point on. And it, like I say, it always takes a little bit longer to, you know, spending time trying to correct that and getting it right in the beginning. But you'll be so grateful afterwards because it just means every time you take a little bit and mix it or use it or run an appliance with that silicon, it's the right color. And it just makes it a lot easier to uh, to do your piece every time. One other thing that occurred to me as well was the often when we're using blood if someone uses a lot of blood they'll ask the question about how to make your own blood do i have any recipes for making my own blood and i have made blood in the past but to be honest nowadays i just tend to buy it i mean if you need like gallons and gallons and gallons of it i can understand that that would be an expensive option and that making your own or making some kind of you know blood substitute or some kind of you know blood effect um, is an attractive option because buying it's going to cost so much money but there's a few things you need to remember um, when using blood um, 
One is how it performs. And what I mean by that is if you're actually going to use blood to pump through a rig, so it's going to be squirting out of a wound, for example, it's got to go through tubing. So it has to be not too thick. Because if it's too thick, if it's too viscous, if it's too syrupy, if it's like cold honey, it won't flow through the tubing at all, or you know, very well if it does flow. And um, and that can affect, obviously, the performance of the blood. It's not going to squirt or spray in the way you want it to because it's too thick. And this is particularly true, I think, of bloods that are made from like a sugar syrup or corn syrup. You get like caro corn syrup or... Um, in England, we have uh, we use a lot of... Um, like golden syrups called golden syrups like a, an inverted sugar syrup and they're very very thick when they're cooler so if you were doing a gag you might mix up all your blood and then you take it outside leave it in a van overnight or in a cold makeup trailer or outside and if you're filming somewhere really really cold it might you know thicken or even solidify completely your sugary uh, syrup blood in which case um you know it's gonna be a problem because you need to heat it up but it might cool it down again in the pipes um and it's quite common to thin blood in order to get, go through the pipes. But the trouble with thinning blood is it often will change the colour. It'll be very translucent and watery. You'll see through the blood. Um, so uh, I think it was Stuart Comran, a friend of mine, Stuart Comran, a makeup artist, a fantastic makeup artist, been doing it a long time, worked on some fantastic films. He suggested using, I think it was Diet Coke that was flat to thin the blood down. Uh, I guess you could also use coffee. Um, anything that's dark and doesn't contain more sugar, um, so it's not going to be too sticky. And it basically means that you can thin the blood without making it too watery looking, because you're actually darkening it as well as uh, adding more water to it, because you don't want it to be too translucent. Because um, obviously when it sprays out of a wound, if it's very translucent, depending on how it's lit, it might look really sort of pink and, and, and fake. Um so, so be aware of when you're going to thin your blood, what you're going to thin it with. Don't want to thin too much with water, because if you use maybe, you know, 5 or 10% water, that might be enough. But if you put 50% water in, then you might get significant, you know, colour reduction, and that's a problem. Um, one of the best bloods I've ever used, and I think it's fantastic, is Rob Smith's blood. He makes some amazing blood. If you listen to, uh, there's a few podcasts back. I'll put a link to it in this, um, that Rob Smith did a couple of podcasts with us, and uh, he spends a lot of time in care making his blood and it's really really quite fantastic it's really good stuff it looks like the real thing and it flows like the real thing it smears like the real thing um, and he makes you know like a, a fantastic blood for that kind of thing and um, his blood is you know designed to be able to be pumped and you can thin a little bit of water um, and it works very very well but it doesn't sort of you know the the colour's right and it makes you realise when people are making your blood and if you do make your own blood it's good to try a small amount I, I would buy some of the best bloods out there some fantastic bloods if you try a little bit of fake blood to see you know just how much work goes into getting the colour right because the thing is you can think to yourself I can buy the ingredients and make it but you've got to put a dollar value on your time as well because you're trying to basically reinvent the wheel every time trying to get the colour right the viscosity right the opacity right as well a lot of bloods are very translucent particularly if you're going to thin them down for pumping and if they if they're too translucent again they look very fake so you want to make sure that you don't have too watery a blood uh so it looks too thin so using a good blood like something like rob smith's blood you'll find you know it, it, it flows right and the opacity is correct so it looks good on camera and that can be another thing as well is, is doing camera tests because there are a lot of different bloods out there and depending on how it's lit and the kind of cameras they're going to use it'll look different um, on camera so it's good to do you know 
camera test if you can. If blood is a significant portion of the thing you're shooting on and it's a regular occurrence if you're doing something like game of thrones or something like that, there's a lot of you know blood and it's going to be a regular thing um you want to keep it consistent and make sure it looks right um and that they're happy with it so don't just assume that because you've made some red stuff or you bought some red stuff that it's going to be right and it's going to look right on camera because it might not and it's a very good thing like i say to do tests and check that everything's looking how they want it to look because obviously if it's if you spent a lot of money making thousands of gallons of this stuff and it's all awful in the wrong color then that wasn't going to save you any time anyway or any money because it's now a problem it's just a different kind of problem um the the other things to consider about when you know if you're going to try and make your own blood or even if you're just buying blood and trying it is to check how it stains costume and skin because if you're doing a blood gag on somebody and then they get cleaned up and then they're going to be in another scene and they still got this big pink stain on their skin from where your cheap blood came from um that can be a problem um and you might be able to put makeup on the person to kind of cover that stain but again it's just another problem that if you check and make sure it doesn't stain to begin with it's a problem you can avoid rather than have to solve um and also costume because sometimes costumes are made or they're rented and and that's a lot of money you know a lot of money goes into good costume and if your you know your cheaper blood has gone onto this costume and stained it um that again can be a cost that may be your problem if you caused it to happen so sometimes you know saving a few quid or you know a few dollars on on some blood can end up costing you more in the long run uh, so it's, it's it's important to do patch tests if possible with some of the blood you know well in advance of when you're going to need it just to make sure that it it does what it's supposed to do and doesn't cause you know ongoing problems by staining costumes uh, or skin uh, and sometimes even sets if you've got a big blood gag where it's going to be spraying everywhere um it's a good idea to make sure that you know again that it doesn't stain and that everybody is aware where this blood's going to go it's good to do some some tests if you can with water to try and you know determine where the arc of the spray is going to be where it's going to land and then take appropriate precautions to cover things up another thing to consider is when people talk about blood is, is there's different kinds of of blood and i'm not talking about necessarily like the anatomical difference between like arterial blood or venial blood and all that kind of stuff but just blood that is used on a makeup there'll be different things that you need from it you know sometimes you need the blood to actually flow you actually need to see it actively bleed out of a wound so it may be weeping constantly or it may even spray out um you know in a big arc out of a open artery wound or something like that um, it might all just be you need a little bit of it in the corner of the nose or the corner of the eyes or you know in the mouth or something like that um, so those bloods might need to be a little bit more dried and caked on so you might need some drying bloods and um, there's some fantastic stuff that makeup do on uh, drying blood and also um, hog's blood is very good and fleet street uh, make a range of bloods that are sort of alcohol based and they kind of dry um, and they're quite sticky and goopy at first and then they kind of dry and you end up with a really nice kind of caked on dry blood um you, sometimes you need some sort of like thick gelatinous blood like clots of blood and that's very good to use in, in things like hair where you might have a wound that's near the hair or something you can sort of patch this clotty kind of it almost has like a kind of a preserve like a jam kind of consistency uh so it's 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 soft and liquidy but not runny so you can put that in into places and it kind of stays which is quite a nice um, other types of blood might be, um, uh, you can get, uh, mouth blood as well. Uh, other bloods include like mouth blood. So if you're going to use blood inside the mouth, don't always assume that the blood you've got 
is safe in the mouth or even ingestible, even if it is used in the mouth. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you can have it in the mouth that you can actually swallow the blood. It might not taste very good or it might you know, have sort of chemicals in it. And so always check that the blood you've got is safe to use in the mouth because obviously uh, you don't want to upset your, your talent uh, by putting something in their mouth that's going to be soapy or uh, you know, surprisingly unpleasant. Obviously, there's also things like eye blood. I haven't done it myself. I've never used any eye blood. But Kryolan make uh, an eye blood, or I think they do a few different colours, which is like a blood that you can use safely in the eye. Um, the eye being the way it is, it tends to purge it pretty quickly because I guess it's going to irritate the eye a bit and you'll end up tearing up and, and your eyes will clean it out. But it can be very good for a quick shot. Uh, and you can use that, like I say, safely in the eye. But make sure that you know what you're doing, you read the instructions, and very... Um, Obviously, people could have conditions. They might have eye conditions or they might be wearing contact lenses or all kinds of things like that. So use that stuff with caution. Um, but again, make sure that you're using the right kind of blood for the right kind of thing. You don't want to just use one blood for everything because you might find that, you know, it's fine on skin, but it can stain costume or it's fine on costume, but it stains skin or, you know, it's fine on the skin, but it's not OK in the mouth. So make sure you have, you know, the right kinds of bloods for the kinds of things you're going to be doing. So, like I say, when the question comes up, can you make your own blood? It's like, you can, but sometimes it's not always the best thing to do. But I do appreciate, you know, like I say, for sheer volume, sometimes people need to. There's no shortage of recipes online for, for good bloods. And I've seen some that look, you know, pretty cool. But it's whether or not, okay, they look fine on camera, but then now they've stained the skin and or costume or whatever. But then if that's not a problem, you know, that's a pretty neat way to... Uh, to go around that problem but like I say be aware of those things because they could have ongoing costs and concerns or embarrassment for you if you hadn't considered them and then someone's got to uh, deal with that problem later something else that I've seen done a lot of uh, like first aiders have done is quite good is if you've got a very large sort of like pool of blood that you need to be on a, on a, a scene uh, especially on the floor carpeted floor or something like that where you don't want to have the trouble of putting down a carpet just for the blood uh, or, you know, having to clean that up afterwards, would be to actually, before the shoot, is actually mix up um, some silicon, something like Plat Gel 10 or Pro Gel 10, like a nice flexible, runny silicon, and then mix that blood colour, you know, mix up as much as you need, a couple of litres or whatever, and then mix it the right kind of shade to be blood, and then pour that onto a large, sort of non-porous surface, like some kind of surface furniture board or something like that, and let that cure, let that set completely, and then when that's done, you can kind of peel that up and roll it up and then place that set, that cured silicon, onto the surface, like the flooring, like the carpet, or, you know, whatever floor you're going to shoot on. And then you could lay, you know, your person down on top of it. And then you've got this big pool of blood. You might need to dress some other fake blood into costume or a little bit onto the person, obviously. But then if you have this sort of like, you know, half a gallon of blood that's supposed to be all over the floor it can work quite well to have this big patch of silicon because then you haven't actually put any blood liquid onto the surface and uh, you know carpets and stuff are a nightmare to clean and locations and everyone in costume will be very grateful if uh, if you can avoid that so that might be something to try if you do have a large pool of static blood that you don't need to see grow um, it can be a kind of a nice little trick it might be that it gets a little powdery because you may need to powder it in order to not get it to stick when you're peeling it up but what i've seen uh which is quite effective using silicon oil to uh, to dress that down to spray you can get silicon oil sprays and just basically it kind of reinvigorates the silicon surface and makes it look shiny again um, and that can be used like i say for large pools of blood that uh, are not supposed to be moving so 
consider that maybe for a large blood splat. Okay, that's my thoughts for the day. Uh, I will speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for listening. And like I say, if you have any questions or you want to get in touch, please do drop us a line, stuartandtodd at gmail.com. And uh, details and notes and links will be in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.